G'day guys, Barry McLeod here for the Comeback Game Inspired and Unstoppable podcast. Uh, today I'm super excited because I'm joined by a good friend and a long-term mentor of mine, Michelle Masters. How are you, Michelle? I'm good, thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, where are you calling in from today? California, a little bit north of San Francisco, up in the redwoods and orchards. Fantastic. I'm so, uh, so grateful that you can join us today and, and share a bit about yourself and about your story. But before we kick off, for the guys out there listening, the guys and girls listening today, tell us a little bit about you. Like, like who are you? What is it specifically that you do? Well, I'm not sure who I am is a short answer, but I'll tell you what I do. That's lots, that's lots shorter. So uh, I've been an NLP trainer for about, that's NLP Neuro Linguistic Programming for about 23 years now. And uh, I've all, I'm also a family constellation facilitator and trainer. So they're both transformational work. They work on two different sides of the same coin. So mostly I teach people how to do what I do. And then I work with clients to change patterns and beliefs so that people can have what they want without having to try to be different. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Had you finished? Just cut out. Uh, Should have. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Tell us a little bit about uh, family constellations because I know that that's something that's, that's fascinated me and, and you know, I, I think a, a fair amount of people out there have heard of or, or know about NLP, but family constellations is not something that's talked about a lot. So I'd love if you could share with the listeners a little bit more around specifically what it is and, and how does it work? Sure. Well, there's, you know, I've been doing this for so long and there's really only two things that keep people stuck. And one is old unconscious safety patterning. That's like belief patterns and identity patterns. And the other is unconscious family loyalties. Mm. And that's, that's the one that, that constellation work is focused on changing is those unconscious family loyalties. And of the two of them, it's the hardest to change. It's much easier to revise belief structure or identity structure than it is to get people to stop suffering for and like the people they come from. Mm. So one of the easiest examples most people can understand is most people have heard of survivor guilt, where if there's been a tragedy, the ones who didn't, who survived feel guilty for having made it. That's kind of happens in real time. But here's how it happens in families. When a child is born into a family, they feel all the pain in the family, present and past, and they really can't, they can't tell the difference between present and past. When a child, that time thing doesn't get rolling for a while for human beings. So when a child is conceived into a family, they feel all this pain, past pain, most of it, and their instinctive desire is to want to heal it. There's mm. never been a child born in the history of humanity who did not want to heal their, their families. Mm. There has also never been a child born in the history of humanity who has pulled it off. But mm. everybody tries. And these are unconscious attempts for them in the main. But the first thing that a child tries to do is love the pain into submission. I will love them so much that it will all be better. And because their love is so huge, this feels reasonable. Never works. If it worked, every parent would be instantly healed upon the birth of their first child. But it doesn't work, right? And so the next move is the kid tries to like take the pain. Here, I'll have it so that you don't have to. I'll have this problem. I'll be the one who's depressed. I'll be the one who's suicidal. I'll be the one who has a bad relationship. I'll be the one who's sick. I'll be the one with the drinking problem. Mm. This also never works. You can no more take somebody's pain than you can take their food poisoning. Yeah. Like we, it's not possible, but there is this illusion that we, that we can. 
And um, as a, I was doing a, teaching a class and it was and doing a demonstration and it was really obvious that the client when she was four was trying to take on all this family pain. And, she, and I was pointing out how futile that was because you can't take someone else's pain. And she looked me dead in the eyes, this very intelligent woman and said, but I can't do nothing. Mm. And that's, that's where it is. It's like we can't do nothing. And so we end up needlessly, futilely getting entangled in our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents' pain and unconsciously replaying it. That's the other thing is basically a kid says, if it was hard for you, it will be hard for me. Mm. Mm. Is this, do you think, why so many people have issues reoffending? And what I mean by reoffending is, you know, seeming to have the same experience over and over and over again. It's like, but I thought I dealt with that. You know, that, that whole Groundhog Day, is that because of these unconscious family loyalties, would you say? It could be. It could also be um, belief in identity structure patterning. That's the thing is when pretty much everything that we believe about ourselves in the world, most of it's in place by three and pretty much all of it by six. So our patterns for who we think we are, what we think we deserve, what we think the world is like, that's all in place by six. And that patterning is then automatic, which is a good thing. Like when you learn things, you don't want to have to relearn them every day. So learning is designed to be automatic. Once we learn how to walk, we don't have to keep relearning it. Yeah. But some of those early, early learnings like, oh, you have to struggle, you know, you have to work hard to succeed. Yeah. Once that gets in there, it's part of the automated system. And so trying to manually override it, like trying to talk yourself out of a belief that's patterned is like trying to not move your knee, your leg when the doctor hits that little reflex spot. Mm. Or like trying to not pull your, like close your, have your pupils constrict when a light hits them. Mm. It's like automatic patterning. And so most of the things, it's either going to be unconscious family loyalties or old belief patterns that have people continue to play out the same patterns. And when they try to manually override it, like with willpower, it only lasts so long because the patterning is automatic. Hmm. It's amazing too because, you know, so many people just aren't even aware that this stuff exists. You know, they've yeah. heard of yeah. belief, you know, you know, limiting beliefs. They've heard of... Um, stuff happening around that space, but you know, so many people aren't aware of these unconscious family loyalties. Yeah, this is—it's been a fairly recent development. Um, a fellow named Bert Hellinger, who's still alive, by the way, he's quite old, but he's the one who really started to explicate, to make it obvious these unconscious loyalties and the ways that human humans, in order to belong, the ways that they rep, replicate patterns from the past, especially painful ones. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me then, Michelle, before you got into, uh, you know, into, into NLP and your change work, what was life like for you? Like, who were you? What, what sort of things were you doing? Um, how did it come about? You know, how did you all of a sudden find you into, into a career that's seen you, you know, achieve a lot, help, you know, hundreds of people around the world? Well, it took me a long time to find. I didn't find it until I was in my uh, early 30s. And in retrospect, I realize now that I couldn't have done this work before then. I just wasn't mature enough mm. to be able to, um, and I had a lot of issues. When I was a teenager, I had an achievement problem. I had an achievement problem in the same way that most people have a drinking problem, mm. and, and kind of for the same reason. I had like no sense of worth, 
other than through achievement. And I remember a friend of mine, I was 17 or 16, and a friend of mine said, you know, if there was a fire, what would you grab? What would you take out of the house? And my response was, oh, my trophies. And she looked at me and I thought, oh, that's not good. <laughs> and so it took a while. And, and when I left when I left high school and I, I got a scholarship because I, I needed a scholarship, but after that, I kind of took myself, I kind of denied myself the achievement drug. I like wouldn't let myself do that for a while because I realized I needed a sense of personality based on something else. Almost anything would have been better. Mm. And I ended up, you know, in my 20s, I wandered around a lot. I mean, I, we could spend years talking about how I literally wandered in the wilderness, not just metaphorically. But then uh, when I found this, I went to a free seminar and I did a lot of therapy with a saintly woman, God bless her, four years. Mm. And it really helped me, but it didn't change things. It gave me a lot of self-acceptance and awareness that I didn't have, which I really needed, but it didn't change anything. And so when I, f when I went to this free seminar, I could actually, in the like 30 minutes in the seminar, I could feel things change. Mm. And so that, at that point, I thought, okay, I've been looking for what I really wanted to do. This is it. And while I was taking the training, I also got a fair amount of the work done on me. And mm. so I think it was, a, it was a couple years later, I saw a picture of me from before, and I saw my eyes, and I thought, oh, my God, I forgot how that used to feel, what it used to feel like to be me, because it was, it was so much better now. And it, it gets better every year, but it, it was pretty grim, and I'd forgotten how bad it was. Mm. Mm. So, you know, the, the wake up call for you was, was obviously going to that seminar and, and as you said, you'd done some work and learned a lot of self-acceptance, but there wasn't specifically the change um, and, until right. that day. Would you say that there, there was an experience around then at all that you, you know, refused that call, refused that awakening or that change or that transformation? You know, was there a part of you that wanted to hold on to what you had or were you, you completely in a position where, you know, you just knew it was time to, to step forward and transform? Well, what I did was I had pretty at the time when I came to the training, I had run out of money. My relationship had blown up. I didn't have a place to live. So I pretty much crashed everything. Hmm. Um, you know, I crashed and burned everything. So it came in a certain way at the best possible time because at that point I didn't have anything left to lose. Hmm. And I really wanted something different. I just didn't know yet what it was, but I knew I didn't want what it, well, you know, I didn't want to be miserable. I didn't want to sell my soul to earn a living. Mm. Um, I wanted to do something that actually mattered to me, et cetera. So that's what this has, has afforded me. Yeah. And, and at what point through that did you decide that this is what you wanted to do with your life, that, that you, you know, wanted to become that facilitator and that trainer um, and that coach and mentor to assist, you know, many other people have, you know, the breakthroughs that you had and, and so much more. What was that it, point? Honestly, it was, it was the point in the free seminar that I went to when I felt something shift in me. Mm. Because I had briefly considered a career in counseling when I was in, uh, in psychi um, psychology when I was in college. But the idea of just listening to how bad things were, you know, from people and not being able to do anything about it, that was just horrible. So I had kind of dismissed that. But when I found this, something that actually I could feel it change things, then I was all in. And I'd been looking. I had like decided I wasn't going to just take another job for job's sake. I was going to wait till I found something I wanted. And then this showed up. 
Yeah, it's interesting, hey, how, you know, you're putting out there to experience some form of personal change, but at the same time, too, there's a career change happening as well. Yeah, it all came in one one big package for me. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge that you, you know, that, that you faced during that transitional period, do you think? You mean when I hadn't found it yet? Well, even after you found it. It all, it all got pretty easy after I found it. I mean, I did need to figure out the money thing because I literally had no money. But, and so I almost left the free seminar before it started. There was, only, there was this enormous room where the free seminar was. And there was just two of us participants there. And these guys were, who were going to do the free seminar were waiting desperately, hoping someone else would show up because, you know, it's just us two in this cavernous location. Well, they were waiting, hoping somebody would show up. So I looked at this brochure and I saw how much the course cost. And I turned to, turned to the lady next to me, the other person, and I said, look, I'm just going to go. I don't want to get their hopes up because I can't afford this. And she said, don't go. She didn't want to be the only person there. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't. And then, like I said, within 30 minutes, I'm like, okay, this is, what, this is what I want. This is what I've been looking for. There's got to be a way. And turned out there was a way. So it was just handling some of the logistics financially to get through the training until I was trained up enough to start earning money. But, you know, that was just logistics. I knew that was just a matter of time. And I ran up a little bit of debt in that time. I'm not really somebody who carries debt, but it was like, no, I couldn't get a business loan. So it's okay. Visa is going to be my, my business loan for now. <laughs> and then, you know, it was about 14 months, I think, before I was breaking even. And then I started, um, it just went up from there. And so. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think? Um, like, it's absolutely fascinating. You know, the universe always delivers. You know, we're always yep. in the right, yep. the right place. And uh, often I think, you know, I see a lot of people struggle with, with what they're being dealt with or what's being dished up, not realizing it's, it's what they need and not realizing that even in that face of adversity or challenge, there's an opportunity for them to, to succeed. What do you think, what do you think is, is one characteristic that really helped you personally get to where you are today? Well, I do. I, I don't know that I agree that, that all the adversity we're getting is something that we need. I know that a lot of people have patterning that creates adversity. Mm. We don't necessarily need it, we, but we've got patterning that creates it. Because what I see over and over is when you change that patterning, then all of a sudden things start flowing, things start moving, think people, it just starts being working. Yeah. So to get, so I don't know that we need adversity. Um, I think that when we are ready for change, the universe makes us countless offers. And this work that I found is some of the best for actually changing it. But what was your question about characteristic? Well, what do you think is one characteristic in yourself personally that's allowed you to, to be where you are today and to have the, the success and, and the lifestyle and the ability, you know, like it's pretty rewarding being able to have a patient or have a client turn up that's, you know, been experiencing challenges. And I know, you know, from, from many conversations we've had, you've had so many people that have experienced things for a long period of time in their life thinking that it was normal or thinking that, you know, there's no way it could possibly be changed. Mm -hmm. um, what has been a characteristic that's allowed you to, to continue to transition to grow and, and to learn and to evolve and be where you are today? Um, that's a really good question. That's a little hard to answer from the inside. I know this was really easy for me to learn. It, it was in some ways peculiarly adapted to the strange assortment of um, abilities that I have. Mm. But I think for me, the, the, the constant theme that I've noticed throughout my life is, is places where I just, where my system would notice, you know, this doesn't have to be like this. This could be better. Mm. Um, 
even to the, I mean, it was even in small things. Back when I didn't, I was still trying to figure out what work I wanted to do. I was on the board of this church, and uh, it was a big, uh, it's a religious science, so it's actually like the religious version of NLP because it's all about change your thoughts and change your life, and um, and how your thoughts create your life. And um, they would have it was a congregation of about six hundred people, and they would do these announcements during the service, which would go on for ten or fifteen minutes, and it was the longest ten or fifteen minutes of anybody's life every week. I just thought this does not have to be like that. And so for a while I started volunteering to do the announcements and just made it a much more entertaining experience because, you know, it doesn't have to be bad, but that's been kind of the theme. So anything that has the ability to take something that's and make it better, that's really inspiring for me. I mean, I get so inspired by anytime anything gets better for somebody. I can watch, you know, Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman finally gets to shop and I get teary. <laughs> anytime, you know, anytime I see something get better for somebody or them go through a transformation, it's just, that's such a win for me. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, back to, back, back a couple of steps to what we mentioned before around, you know, obviously having adversity or, you know, universe delivering what we need and, and so forth like that. Do you think there's some synergy though around that in the terms of, you know, like what we seek, we find. And often these challenges or these situations that come up, let us know that something's not right or something's not quite fitting in, in the right, in the right location. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if something's not, if you're frustrated or upset or that's good feedback from your system, that something's not aligned. Um, And usually it's that old identity is not aligned with who you really are and who you want to be because our identities are set in place so early long before there's any real objective sense of who we are, we've already decided who we are based on the environment we grew up in pretty much and the people we grew up with. And so most of the the friction is because that old identity is light years behind who we really are and what we really want. And the friction between those two as we're pulled towards who we really are and what we want to be and kind of dr- trying to drag along or getting pulled back by a really old and out-of-date identity, that's where most of the adversity shows up. Mm. That's really interesting, in, internal conflict, isn't it? Yeah, that we're mostly not aware of because the thing about beliefs and identity is they don't seem like beliefs and identity. It just seems like how it is. So people end up making themselves wrong or making the world wrong. It's like, what's wrong with me? Or, or the, you know, the world's not right. Monsanto's out to get us or whatever it is. We have a tendency to blame either us or the world um, and get frustrated, but it's it's just patterning that needs to be revised. Yeah, yeah, I love that, and and you know, very much goes with the theme of of this podcast. You know, the, the comeback game inspired, unstoppable. You know, often we'll we'll be presenting to rooms full of people, and we'll get them to look back into their life to a point where they had some form of a large adversity or challenge, then to actually see how that has shaped or that's allowed them to grow to become who they are today. I know myself, you know, you know, experiencing bankruptcy seven and a half, eight years ago at the time was, was the hardest experience that I'd ever been through in my life. But to look back now and seeing what a blessing it was, because if it wasn't for that, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. And I suppose I'm wondering from you, like, can you tell me a time when, you know, you wanted something so badly that you didn't stop until you got it? Well, I know I wanted to study in Europe, and I didn't know how I was going to do that, but there was a way. I knew I wanted to live in London and New York, and I didn't know how, but there was a way. I knew I wanted to do this work, and I didn't know how, but there was a way. So 
I find for me at least and, and um, that it's when I get clear on what I want, then it's like the universe moves with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's, it's been a more a challenge of, of not always knowing exactly what I want, but when I do know, it does seem like heaven and earth moves with us. Mm. And so for me, it hasn't necessarily been uh, about having to, to really, I mean, I was clear that I wasn't going to work again until I found something that really mattered. That, that was four years it took me, mm. but then I found it. So I, that's the closest I can come to, um, you know, having to really had n- to knuckle down because otherwise it's been mostly once I get really clear, then avenues start to open up. Mm. That's a really good point. And, and, I, and I totally agree with that is that once you can get specific and clear on what it is you'd like, mm. you allow the, the universe to, to conspire to assist you in creating that. And yeah. I that comes back to a lot what we talk about in LP too around the filters, you know, mm-hmm that once we, we create that picture of wanting that new car, we start to filter any experiences of having it or, or start to filter any experience of it being around us. And yeah. it's no coincidence the car's always existed. We were just never filtering in that experience. Right. That's your reticular activating system that does that. Once you put your attention on something, it starts to, it starts to filter for that. Mm. Yeah. And is it mm-hmm. fair to say that the unconscious doesn't know the difference between what we have and what we'd like to have? Oh, that's an interesting distinction. Does does know the difference between what we have and what we what we'd like to have? I don't know. I'd actually have to think about that. I know that for a good chunk of our brain, there is no time. There's no past, present, and future for most of our brain. And so most of our brain can't tell the difference between something that's real, imagined, or remembered. Yeah. That's a good chunk of our brain can't tell the difference. It's a relatively small part that can. So when we imagine something you know, our heart rate sometimes gets elevated um, or remember something. Our heart rate will sometimes get elevated or we'll have go through physiological changes as though it were happening right now because, like I said, most of our brain can't tell the difference between imagined or remembered or right now. So when you're focused on something that you want for a good chunk of your brain, that whatever that you're imagining, whatever you're picturing, smelling, hearing, feeling, in your mind is is happening right now and is real for a good chunk of your brain yeah yeah the the human brain is so fascinating and 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 what you guys do from an nlp perspective and a family constellation is is absolutely mind-blowing uh what i suppose i'm wondering is is do you have any daily rituals or do you have any daily habits to keep you in in the right mindset in the right mind you know the, the right frame of mind well I mean, it's kind of silly, but I play kind of cheerful, silly music in the morning because it kind of sets my emotional thermometer for the day. That's the closest I come to a ritual. If I have something that's really stuck, I'll make an appointment and let somebody else work on me. Because even though I've been doing this work for like 23 years, I, you can't do it on yourself. And so I'll go see somebody else. And so the, the more of that work that I get done, the better and better quality problems I have. Yeah. Like my, my worst days now are better than my best days used to be. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. What, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? If you were to, to have a conversation with a 20-year-old version of you, what advice would you give her? It would probably be some reassurance that, you know, you're okay. Yeah. Because it, it really wasn't, uh, I remember in a session, one of the first, one of the most impactful sessions that Carl, the guy that I train with now and who trained me, you know, 
he, uh, he got back to when I was two years old and I just felt fatally flawed. And I remember him saying, you know, and, and I was still in that mindset of fatally flawed when this decision got made when I was two. And he said, what, is this some sort of devil child? And the absurdity of that finally hit me like, oh, you know, probably not. And so um, that chunk kind of revised a bit. So, I mean, it would have been great if I hadn't had to wait until my, you know, early 30s to, f- to find out that I, I wasn't like evil incarnate that I was okay. That, that would be the big one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're, you're okay. And it's going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, what advice would you give the people out there listening today, whether they you know be business owners or, you know, employees mm-hmm. or unemployed, wherever they may be in their journey, you know, who might be experiencing some form of challenge or adversity right now, or, or mm-hmm. too looking to, to level up and, and, and move to a new space in life. What advice would you give them? I'd say, first off, you're okay. The worst we can say about anybody is they've got some old patterning that's in the way. And patterning can be, all you need to do is find somebody who knows how to revise it. It doesn't have to be me, but somebody who knows how to just revise patterning because you can't can't rewrite the patterning of a 32-year-old at 40. You have to actually go back into the parts of the brain that were developing then. And then you can actually revise the decisions someone was making about themselves and the world. And when those change, then people's lives transform. Yeah. So I would say if you're stuck, it just means you've got old patterning and, and patterning can be revised. Yeah. Yeah. So you're safe. Everything's okay. It's going to get better. And, you know, old patterning well, can be revised. Well, I don't know if people are safe. You know, sometimes people get themselves in a world of trouble. Um, I would definitely say you're okay. And it can be better. You know, if it's not necessarily going to be better unless the patterning gets changed, but it can be better you can have what you want life can be good for you yeah and i suppose to kind of maybe bust a myth too you know like uh, there's a lot of people that's, that that will talk about affirmations like if you just repeat the same thing over and over the quality of your life will get better and, and i'd love to know your opinion on that because i know for, for myself very early on I, I tried that and it was like no matter how much i told myself you know life was great or or, or whatever the case may be it didn't resolve the stuff that I had going on inside. And it wasn't until I started working with, you know, you guys and, and some other coaches and mentors that that, that that patterning started to be revised that I could actually have a genuine experience of that. Right. Well, here's the thing about affirmations. Affirmations are something you do consciously. Mm-hmm. And consciously, there, there was a paper, I think it was 1958 by George Miller called Some Limits on Our conscious attention, something like that. What it basically discovered is that human, the conscious mind can pay attention to anywhere between five and nine things at any given time. That's about our limit. Five to nine things you can pay attention to consciously. Unconsciously, our systems are processing upwards of two million things per second. So most of what's going on is unconscious. So if you've got a whole bunch of old associations around, let's say, money, Money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work hard. You know, you got to deserve it. You got to earn it. You got to prove your worth, blah, blah, blah. Money's the root of all evil. If you've got a couple hundred or thousand of those running automatically, not consciously, but unconsciously, all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and then you try for a few minutes every day with your five to nine bits of conscious attention to try and affirm something different, 
that's kind of like standing over a fire hose gushing ice cold water with a little tiny eyedropper of warm water and, and putting like five to nine drops of warm water in that gush of cold water. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. If, if things are already okay and you try affirmations, you might notice more, but if things are really stuck, it's because there's this ton of patterning running and it, it's, you know, you can't affirm with all your conscious attention all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's such a, such a great analogy, such a great analogy. So Michelle, um, you know, for people out there who might feel to, to, to reach out to you, how can they find you? Like what's the best, best way for them to get in, to get in touch? They're probably my website, michellemastersnlp.com. Um, there's information there on, there on how to contact me. And there's also, um, I have a bunch of videos on my YouTube channel, Michelle Masters NLP. There are some that m many people find interesting. There's one called Beliefs and the RAS, the Reticular Activating System. That's kind of some of what you and I were talking about. Yep. And another one called How Things Get Stuck, as well as a couple of webinars. So interesting places to start to learn a little bit more or contact me through my website. Yeah, fantastic. They could also go to thegamechangers.com.au uh, and get updates of obviously next time that you're in Australia and running, you, you run a couple of workshops over here. So uh, oh, Money yeah. Magic and uh, yes. Clear Path to Love, which is your relationship, which I can highly recommend both and they're absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and equally too, through the Opulence program, the Game Changers run, they'll have access to you, I believe, next year in Hawaii, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, that'd be great. Excellent, Michelle. Well, thank you very much for your time. Any last, any last words? Just that you are okay and it can be better. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. And I trust that everyone's listening has had phenomenal value. And uh, we hope to get you on again soon. Okay. Thank you, Barry.